Welcome to the This Can Happen podcast with me, Zoe Sinclair, co-founder of This Can Happen. This is the show where I'm lucky to be in conversation with changemakers and thought leaders within workplace mental health from all around the world, all striving to make a positive difference to support their colleagues. There are many, many factors that can drive burnout. There are physical factors, there are mental health issues, there are family tragedies. But if we're looking purely at things that are guaranteed to make burnout worse, the the two were toxic resilience and imposter syndrome. As many of you know, the month of April is Stress Awareness Month. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Claire Yossa, who has just published a burnout research study, which of course is very in keeping with the Awareness Month. Today, Claire is going to share her fascinating findings, which are essential for both us as individuals, but also for line managers and HR professionals. So Claire is the UK's leading authority on imposter syndrome. She's the author of eight books and an expert in the neuroscience and psychology of performance. Her original training as an engineer, specialising in Six Sigma and Lean Manufacturing, means she has a really inspirational approach and is grounded in practical common sense. It was great to chat with her. So I think I want to dive in straight away and and really ask you, what is burnout? So thank you, Zoe. Burnout is that extreme exhaustion, mental exhaustion, physical exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, where it's got to the stage where we just can't keep going. We've lost our motivation. We don't have any energy. We're feeling really low. We're struggling to concentrate and perform. And in its most severe form, we can actually end up having to take months or even years off work to be able to recover. Why are we talking so much more about burnout than, well, I ever remember hearing that word even? So one of the driving factors in burnout is the amount of stress people have been through, because it's partly about the body's stress response getting stuck on. So that fight, flight, freeze we've all heard of, it's got a great name, it's called the sympathetic nervous system. And when that gets stuck on, out of balance, it's actually designed to run for minutes. Yeah, as we're running from the saber-toothed tiger. What we've experienced, though, now is two solid years of people being exposed to the pandemic, the low-level stress, worry, anxiety. For many people, high-level stress, worry, and anxiety. So our body, when it's stuck in that fight-flight-freeze response, it doesn't get to recharge the batteries. It doesn't get to do the cellular-level healing it would normally do when we're just relaxed but alert. And it also wires the neural pathways in the brain to look for more threats. So this is something called hypervigilance, where we get, we program the brain by accident to look for problems, to look for danger, to look for threats. So all of this has been increasing over the last two years. And it means that day-to-day things that we used to be able to kind of ride those waves, it's now feeling like a roller coaster. And people are exhausted. When you talk to people on social media, the phrase, I'm on my knees, comes up over and over again because there is only so much toxic bounce back resilience that people can handle and we're at serious risk of having whole swathes of the population now burning out. Right so tell me why did you decide to do this research? Because I 
I've spent the last 20 years actually specializing in imposter syndrome. So that's the secret fear of being found out as not good enough or a fraud, despite people thinking you're successful. And I realized at the beginning of the pandemic that actually there was a direct link between imposter syndrome and burnout and vice versa. There's a direct connection between burnout and increasing imposter syndrome. And at the very beginning, when we had the first lockdown in the UK, I was running groups for people on natural resilience, being able to kind of do the and keep flowing, that breathe out, and sharing techniques to be able to lower stress levels so they didn't get stuck in hypervigilance and they didn't burn out. And I saw so many people didn't have access to these techniques and they were suffering the consequences. So I've been working with organizations over the last two years who are also HR directors, extremely concerned about burnout. And we decided about a year ago that we actually needed some data on this in the context of the pandemic. And that's why we started the research study and it's simply taken off. It's been absolutely incredible, the support that we've had from people to create this study. Amazing, amazing. Okay, so we've got two perspectives here. We've got, say, the personal perspective, myself. How am I recognising the signs of burnout in me? But we've also got my manager. Mm -hmm. How can that manager recognise the burnout signs in their colleagues, in the people that they, you know, they're looking after. I I don't believe it's so easy. Well, one of the things that happens is we're really, really good at hiding this because we don't want to be seen as weak. And actually the way we see it, the way I see it, is that burnout is a sign that we've been too strong for too long. So the people you really want to be looking for are those who are the obvious candidates at risk of this, where you know they've got maybe issues in the carer environment at home, where they're overloaded. Maybe now they've got financial stresses that are causing stress. But actually, the real red hot people you want to be looking at for this are the people who seem to be fine, who seem to be coping, where maybe your radar saying, I'm just not convinced. Yeah, I think they're putting on too much of a face here. So classic warning signs for a manager to look out for might be somebody suddenly turning their video off on calls when previously they were happy to be on video. Somebody genuinely seeming exhausted, struggling to concentrate. They suddenly work longer hours because they're trying to overcompensate. They're making mistakes. They might be irritable. They might be negative and critical of colleagues. They might have a shorter fuse with people. And they might be starting to take longer time off than you would expect when they get knocked by things either at work or in life. That is very interesting. And I, what, what do you think about um, the HR leaders, the, the, the managers themselves who, let's face it, have been, you know, at the coalface over the last couple of years of, some brutal stuff. Uh, I know we all have been, but when they're managing other people, it's who's looking after the managers mm-hmm. as well um, that, that I worry about. And Many of you could be listening right now. So, you know, we're sort of saying, take stock of yourself. How can I recognise it in me? Well, one of the things we found for management level is that imposter syndrome rates have skyrocketed. So when we did our last imposter syndrome study back in 2019, it was about 50% of people were struggling with it daily or regularly in any given year. We now found through the burnout research and imposter syndrome study that that figure for the general population in the UK is now 62%, but for management level roles, it's up in the 70s. So three quarters of them are struggling with this. So that's one of the warning signs. This has imposter syndrome suddenly kicked in, whereas previously my coping strategies were working. 
And it's also with managers, the issue we have is we feel responsible for managing an entirely new way of working. The level of change that managers have had to lead in the last two years is unprecedented. I know that's an overused word right now, but it really is. Very few managers have had training on how to do that. And we've now got a situation where lots of people are being asked to go back into the office or work hybrid, and managers have suddenly got to lead their virtual teams that might be completely outside their comfort zone. Plus, they're under pressure from both directions, from the people working for them and from the people who are managing and leading them. So it's really critical to be having the conversations in both directions about what's achievable, whether things need to be changed. You know, if suddenly a new project comes up that's going to take a lot more effort, we actually need to be letting things drop off the table. And that kind of courageous conversation, having those authentically, is extremely important. And as a manager, the warning signs are very similar to the rest of the population, but the managers are more likely to be feeling the pressure because they feel the responsibility for the performance, but also the well-being of their teams. And also in the more senior management roles, you, also, you often have nobody that you can go to to talk to about this. So having your network, having your tribe, people you trust, where you can say, is it normal for me to wake up on a Monday morning and cry? Mm-hmm. Where you won't feel judged. Asking for help. There's so much you can do about preventing burnout. And it's not about beanbags in offices and, you know, lunchtime yoga sessions, though they're great. But it's actually deciding, I don't want to do this. I don't want to burn out. And I'm going to find out what I can do now to really make this a thing of a past, to make myself naturally resilient so that I don't get knocked for six by life and I'm not running on empty. Yeah. Um, can I share with you quickly, Zoe, a story that I was once told by a meditation mentor I worked with? Please, please. Because this for me sums up burnout completely. He said that in life, it's like we've got two milk bottles of energy. We've got one that we fill up each night when we go to sleep. That's our daily energy. And then we have the emergency backup milk bottle, which we use in times of crisis, which is much harder to fill back up. And what's been happening for so many of us is that daily bottle no longer gets filled up. We've been using the emergency bottle every single day. And it's harder and harder to rebuild our energy levels. And if that is how you're feeling, if you're listening to this interview here, that is the warning sign that says you need to be taking action to make the changes so you're no longer living on the emergency milk bottle of energy. Brilliant. I'm so pleased you told that. That that I, I've got I've got visions of the milk bottles in my mind, but it's really <laughs> working. I've got all these levels going up and down, but um, that that explains it so well. Um, what I really loved about the research, and I'd just like to discuss that for this for a bit, if we, if we can, is about um, what you found out. Um, how burnout is driven by some core pillars. And I just like to look into these pillars. So I think you looked at cultural drivers, environment drivers, and habit drivers. And let's just chat a little bit about each one of those drivers, because I think this is fascinating. So let's start with cultural drivers. Talk me through what you mean by cultural drivers. So the cultural drivers, they're things that might come from an organization's culture. They might be a national culture. They might be a faith based culture. It's it might be a family culture. You know, that classic thing that a lot of us grew up with was you have to work hard to succeed. 
So these are all things that are technically outside of our individual control. And in an organization, it might be things like too many meetings. Yeah, we found 47% of the respondents said they've got too many meetings. Classic example was someone saying, I do a full day of meetings and at five o'clock I start my day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's a, I, I feel the knowingness in that. Mm, that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too, yeah, too many meetings. Um, 71% of people said they felt that their organization expected them to bounce back from adversity really quickly and to not in any way honor if things had been difficult or stressful. So we call that toxic resilience, that bounce back, bounce back gritted teeth determination. That was 71%. Another cultural factor is pings, notifications. Yeah, you and I both agreed before we came on air that we would turn off our email and WhatsApp and everything else so we wouldn't get pinged during this session. But 86% of respondents said they found those pings distracting and we found that a large number of people, it's actually triggering that fight, flight, freeze response every time a ping goes off because they're scared. If they don't reply to it quickly, their team's culture, their organization's culture is it will then get escalated to their boss and then their director. So every ping was triggering a fear response. But how do we, how do we overcome that? How do we make that change? So when we look at things like the meetings, we really need a reboot on this. A lot of people have said the number of meetings they're attending has about doubled since pre-pandemic because suddenly you can invite the world. Everybody can hop on Teams or Zoom. You don't have to travel. You don't have to book a meeting room. So we really do need to look at does it need to be a meeting or could it be a memo? Yeah. Taking the meeting time out, giving people permission to kick back and say, actually, I don't think I should be in this meeting. Creating a culture where it's actually OK to have an agenda and somebody just shows up for their 10 minutes instead of the whole hour to free up that time. Yeah, a lot of people were describing not even getting comfort breaks for four or five hours on a road, on a trot. Yeah. Which is really unfair. And it's going to really start causing physical stress when we're looking at the pings. It needs to be a cultural decision on how we're going to communicate, whether or not it's acceptable for somebody to feel under pressure to respond quickly. Could we say instead, we've got to be realistic about response times? You know, a one hour response time is fine. A 24 hour response time is fine. If it's genuinely urgent, pick up the phone. Don't ping somebody 10 times if they might be in a meeting. So we can, as leaders, set these organizational norms that change that culture and have a massive positive impact on preventing burnout. Mm. And would you say that, you know, overnight it might not become an organizational norm, but it's something that you can work in as your own direct team? You know, that might be a team of six people. It might be a team of 10 people that at least you can start somewhere. Exactly. And there are things on the, the research white papers page that we've published. There are actually suggestions you can do on a cultural basis that you could start today. Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. And thank you. And we will we will drive people towards that. So don't you worry about that. OK, so next pillar, environment. Absolutely. This is our physical working space. And for some of us, that might be an office. For others, it might be a lovely home office. For others, it might be sitting on their bed, dreading a client or their boss seeing their dressing gown hanging up behind them. 
So different environments support different people. And what we're seeing with the environmental factors is each person has different needs. And where people are going back into the office and they're hot desking, for example, this can be a real trigger area for people because people need to feel safe. They need to, to know who's around them. This is something that as organizations, we now need to learn to manage. It can be a source of stress. And classic environmental factors we found were um, the numbers of distractions, either at home, because you might have wonderful little ones bouncing around, or at work, where suddenly you've got colleagues who've not seen each other, who are just going 10 to the dozen chatting away. So that kind of distraction can be an issue environmentally. Sometimes the environment, particularly if someone's working from home, can mean they end up with blurred boundaries. Sometimes it can drain their batteries. And what drains or you know fills the milk bottle or empties the milk bottle is different for each person. So it's really important that leaders and managers are having these conversations with their team members, giving them permission to speak up and say, actually, it would really help me if, you know, maybe in the office I could wear noise cancelling headphones so that I don't have to hear everybody else chatting in the background. Or you know, maybe I could have permission to work from a local co-working centre so I can get away from my family distractions but not have to commute into the office. There are things we can do to improve the environment, but it's definitely having a strong impact on people's burnout levels. Right, okay. Um, absolutely fascinating. Um, and finally, sort of the third pillar uh, that's driving burnout is our habits. Now, <laughs> tell me about that. that that's yeah, I want to unpick that one. So this is a real rotten tomato alert. <laughs> <laughs> there are habits that we each have that either increase or decrease our risk of burnout. And one of the things that I actually love about this is our habits are where we have the most power. Changing our environment, we might have some impact over. Changing the culture, as you've already said, Zoe, can be a longer term project but our habits are something we can do something about today. It's where our power lies. And if we change our habits, then it helps the changes that you need to make to prevent burnout have the knock-on effect of reducing imposter syndrome, increasing our confidence. So when we then speak up to change the environment or the culture, we do so in a much more positive and empowering and collaborative way because we're doing it from that place of courage instead of fear. And so classic habits coping strategies, procrastination. Yeah, 28% said that they were procrastinating multiple times a day because they're exhausted <laughs> and mm -hmm. they just can't concentrate. 52% were stuck in negative thinking and that negative thinking triggers the fight, flight, freeze response that makes the risk of burnout worse. 54% were routinely doubting themselves, so they were working much harder to try and prove themselves, which makes burnout worse. And as I said, we found imposter syndrome rates have skyrocketed, which makes burnout worse. Yeah, but I hear what you say about the positive thing about the habit drivers is that we are able to have a, that we're able to have an impact on ourselves. Exactly, exactly. So, for example, if you were to learn how to choose which thoughts to feed, then you'll know how to press pause on the type of thought cycle that leaves us exhausted and be able to start turning that around. You'll be able to boost your confidence. So you're more able to speak up to your boss saying, hey, actually going into the office for this start time is really stressful for me because I can't get the kids to school and my old train that I used to take doesn't run. Yeah. yeah. It allows you to have more influence over the other two pillars. 
So um, I know there's so much in the report um, um, to, to read, and I suppose the purpose of this podcast is to give a little bit of food for thought, which you are providing us um, totally brilliantly. But just let's look at this sort of final little bit of your risk predictors, because you wrote about that in the report, which I also found thought was really interesting, especially you know on a personal level, thinking about those predictors. So can you talk talk us through that? Absolutely. So we found two core risk predictors for whether somebody is at risk from burnout. There are many, many factors that can drive burnout. There are physical factors, there are mental health issues, there are family tragedies. But if we're looking purely at things that are guaranteed to make burnout worse, the the two were toxic resilience and imposter syndrome. So toxic resilience, as I said, that's that gritted teeth, bounce back, pretend that you're fine, pushing on through the fear. It utterly empties those milk bottles of energy, but it also exhausts the body because processing that level of stress hormone from the fight, flight, freeze response, the, the cortisol and the adrenaline is exhausting for the body. So the more somebody feels the pressure to exhibit that bounce back toxic resilience, the more likely they are to burn out. Similarly with imposter syndrome, the behaviors that people use as coping strategies for imposter syndrome are the same behaviours that can fast track somebody towards burnout. So the more somebody's struggling with imposter syndrome, the more likely they are to burn out. And the more that they're experiencing burnout, the worse their imposter syndrome gets. So you have to deal with the imposter syndrome to reduce the risk of burnout. Yeah, fascinating. And I think, um, you know, we are recording this podcast in April 2022. Um, it's um, Stress Awareness Month. Yeah. So um, I feel that this research is even more relevant um, to um, the employer, to the employee. Um, so really, really do um, um, appreciate you talking us through this. I suppose kind of my, my my final question, I suppose, if you like, with my, you know, workplace mental health hat on um what do we do next what what do we do with this what do we do with this uh, fantastic research and knowledge that you've given um to prevent burnout so the first thing is we need to remove the taboo around people saying i'm exhausted and being allowed to mean it yeah yeah it's, it's just being able to say this isn't sustainable for me, I need to be doing something different. And actually telling you that is a sign of my strength and courage, not a sign of weakness. Because while people feel there's a taboo, they will continue to try and hide this. Yeah. Then there are practical things that you can do. Um, the, The research white paper page, it's got things that you could do today, and things that are much more strategic and longer term. But on an individual basis, it, it is things like being able to to be able to get grounded. So when we feel the stress response kicking off, having tools to be able to bring ourselves back down to neutral so that we turn off the fight, flight, freeze response. Being able to actually have those conversations with our loved ones saying, do you know what? I actually need you to do this because I'm I'm empty, I'm struggling. Speaking up, asking for help. There are practical things that you can do and it's the stuff I've spent the last 20 years teaching and developing. But in that moment, being able to get grounded can create that space for you to be able to choose different thoughts, for you to be able to respond differently and get off that roller coaster of burnout and overworking and pushing on through that toxic resilience. 
As managers, as I say, we need to remove the taboo and we need to be able to share with people tools that actually work to make a difference because there is so much people can do. But as leaders and organisations, we need to be picking the things that will actually work. Amazing. Um, Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I suppose even more importantly, thank you for carrying out the research, because um, I think it's it's really telling. Um, you know, we're living in a, well, a very different world um, at the moment for all sorts of reasons. Um, and I think we have to be aware and um, of, of this burnout syndrome even that is around that there is so much of it around and actually I think so many people are walking around not admitting it and the burden that people carry with that um, is huge Um, and and you've given so many tools to, to to alleviate that so thank you so much for joining us today I really really do appreciate it Thank you so much, Zoe. And if people, if you're listening to this and you think you might be struggling with burnout, there is actually a diagnostic tool that we have on the website based on the research study that will then give you a personalised PDF action plan based on your responses, telling you what would work best for you to prioritise on to start making changes today. Amazing. And we will be um, pointing everyone in that direction in the the bio of the podcast. Okay, so don't worry about that. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much indeed. And um, good luck with everything else. Thank you so much for covering this and for interviewing me today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Zoe. Brilliant. This Can Happen, empowering workplace mental health. Founded in 2018, we support organisations and empower their employees with the right solutions to create a positive environment for good mental health in the workplace. We offer various resources, including a global leading conference, free webinars, awards, a 12-month friends programme, an exclusive retreat for mental health leads, and the This Can Happen Index, the only measurement tool that includes both the employer and the employee. Find out more by visiting our website, thiscanhappenglobal.com.